Welcome to uh, another weekend where we get to dive deeper into God's Word, specifically in this book of Ephesians. Ephesians is a little book located in the New Testament part of your Bible, uh, toward the right side of the book. And this book right here has been a game changer in my life, and I pray in yours as well. We have been in Ephesians chapter 5, walking verse by verse through this chapter, and we pick it up here today in a series that we've subtitled, Imitate. Imitate. Go ahead and say that word with me. Say, imitate. 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 We are learning about this subject of imitate, that we're not just called to be followers of Jesus, we're called to be imitators of Jesus. The word imitate, by definition, means to be like someone or something. Uh, In this case, we're talking about how to be like our dad, our heavenly father, our Lord Jesus Christ. It comes from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Let's read this verse together. Ready? One, two, three. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. What he's saying there is, since you're so loved by God, I mean, the fact is, and that's, it's a fact, it's not a theory, it's not a cross my fingers and I hope it happened, it's a fact that God loved you so much, he sent his very own son to live the life you couldn't live on your own, the perfect sinless life, to die your sinful death, even though he had no sin, he still died for you. And then to rise from the grave that we would have stayed and died and rotted in. He rose from that grave, and then he extends his hand into our grave, and he says, I want to bring you to life with me, and not just bring you to life, I want to call you into my family and call you a son or a daughter. That is the great news of the gospel. Since that is reality... And if you're on the side that says, I'll take that, I'll receive that, I don't want to die in my own sin, I want to be saved from my sin, I want to be forgiven of all my past, present, and future sin, and I I want to be in the family of God, if that's the case, well then therefore, be an imitator of him. Be an imitator of your heavenly Father. Or as Jesus put it, and this is a challenging verse, spoiler alert, challenge alert, okay? Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, watch this. Therefore... You shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Sometimes people say, hey, well, look, God doesn't doesn't call us to be perfect. Where does that verse at? Yeah, yeah, you shall be be perfect. Now, here's the reality. Will we be perfect? No. Um, But are we being perfected? Yes. And one day in heaven, we will be made perfect. We will be made complete because we will be in our new glorified bodies in the image of our Lord, Savior, Christ. So just because we haven't arrived there yet doesn't mean we shouldn't still continue to be like our dad. And that's what we see here in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. As your heavenly Father, notice that word, doesn't just say your God, but as your Father, is perfect. And, and, and positionally, we are perfect by our faith in Jesus, right? Because we become little Christ. Practically, on earth, we're learning how to live out who we already are, right, as sons and daughters of God. We're called to imitate, imitate, to take someone or something and follow it as a model. Uh, We've been in this imitate series uh, through Ephesians 5, and today we land in our eighth sermon in the imitate. If you need to get caught up at all, you can just go to walkchurch.com or download the Walk Church app. It's in your uh, Apple Store or Android Store, you can find the app, and all the sermons are there. 
By the way, Pastor Mike, you did a great job delivering that message last week. Helpful for me um, on how to make the best use of my time. Ephesians 5, verse 16, uh, in- increasing imitation <clears throat> by decreasing procrastination is a word for your boy, for me, okay? Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, 18 is where we pick it up today. So just join me in verse 18 uh, through 20. If you're ready, say ready. ready. If you're hungry, say let's eat. Let's eat. Let's eat. Father, before we eat from your word today, God, we really do ask you, be thou our vision. I don't know about you today, Walk Church, or if you're watching this online, but I don't, I don't need my own vision when I read this word. I need help from the Holy Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit right now to help you. Holy Spirit, help us to see these words how you want us to see these words. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Continuing into verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Everybody say debauchery. It's just kind of a fun word to say. Um, But be filled with the Spirit, capital S Spirit there, verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the people of God said, amen. 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 We've been giving some different reality statements for our sermons. For example, uh, week one was don't hate, imitate. It was all about walking in love, not walking in hate. Uh, if you're walking in hate, you're not imitating Christ. Uh, he, he was the personification of love. So don't hate, imitate in your love. Defining reality number two was the more we imitate God, the more we eliminate sin. The word eliminate means to cut off, to remove. So as you're imitating God and holiness, you're eliminating, you're removing sin uh, from your life. The third week, the more we walk like God, the more we talk like God, that that our imitation of Jesus actually informs the way we speak. Defining reality number four, empty words lead to an empty life, and an empty life leads to an empty eternity, that we shouldn't have empty lives when we're imitating Jesus, but lives that are full and full of him, amen? Amen. Defining reality five and six, we use this for a two-part sermon. The more we imitate Christ, the more we reveal his light, how as you're imitating Jesus, you can't stay in the dark, (laughs) Because Jesus is the light of the world. So as we imitate him, we start glowing, we start getting brighter that you can walk into a room and an atmosphere begins to shine if you're actually imitating Christ. If you walk into the room and it stays dark or it gets even darker when you walk in, you got to check your imitation. You're imitating the wrong thing, right? Because the more we imitate God, the more we reveal his, the more we reveal his light. Uh, today I want to preach from the subject of imitation uh, by celebration. Amen. Imitation by celebration. Amen. Imitation by celebration. That as we imitate Jesus, the more celebratory we become. Yes, sir. That Jesus loves to celebrate. That we're called to be imitators and celebrators. And I really do think that in the church, we need to grow in this area of celebrating. We need to be better celebrators. Too often people think about Christians and think that they're, uh, they're, they're dry, they're tough, sometimes they're weird, right? Hey, and when I say there, I'm talking about us. I'm talking about, I mean, this is us, right? This is our reputation. 
But I don't know about you. If my reputation is off, I want to change that. And I think that we, uh, we need to be able to first acknowledge that that's the case and say, okay, well, what, let's be the change that not only that we want to see, but that the Bible calls us to, to be. Imitation by celebration. Let's pick it up in verse 18. It says, and do not get drunk with wine. Let me go ahead and highlight that. I want to just double click on that. I want to I bold that for a second. Do not get drunk with wine. You, you came to church today and you were like, I was not expecting that to be the word of God this morning. I wasn't either until that was what was next, okay? Right? Here at Walk Church, we, we, we don't pick sermons for people, right? God picks sermons from his word and we deliver them, okay? Right? Now, if, if the shoe fits, then wear it, all right? If this is a message for you, then take it and let me go ahead and tell you, it is. This is a message for us, the collective body of Christ. The command here in the text is, if you want to be an imitator of God, don't get drunk with wine. Or to apply Pastor Mike's message from last week, uh, if you want to make the best use of your time, then don't get drunk with wine. Right? I got to clap for that. You're tracking with me. Right? Well, because the word and is important right there. Right? Last week, in Ephesians 5, 16 through 17, he says, and make the best use of your time, and do not get drunk with wine, right? So the Apostle Paul is directing us in our imitating. He's saying, here's, here's what I, how I want you to imitate. Make the best use of your time. Don't get drunk with wine. This is a timeless and universal command it's not just to the church in Ephesus, but it's to us today, that this is a word from God for us today if we're going to be imitators. Uh, let me go ahead and submit to you, as a scholar and studier of the Bible, you will not find a verse of scripture that shows Jesus or one of his disciples getting drunk with alcohol and that being something that was affirmed by him. You, you won't find it. Now, you will find alcohol in the Bible. You will find wine in the Bible. And you'll definitely find it in the life of Jesus. Some would argue that Jesus' first ever miracle that he performed publicly was him multiplying wine at a wedding feast, right? Like, Jesus is, is not against wine in this case. He's just saying, don't get drunk with wine, right? Some would even argue that Jesus drank wine while he was living here on earth, as some uh, charged Jesus with being a drunkard and said, hey, he comes eating and drinking. And Jesus says, hey, just because I may have partaken doesn't mean that I was drunk with it. And so I, I, I say that to make the case that it is a biblical issue. We can talk more about it, and, and we will continue to talk about it here at Walk Church. Um, the Bible speaks a lot about alcohol and wine. But this text is very clear. You don't need much more commentary. You don't even need to see it really in the Greek language. It says, do not get drunk with wine. Amen? Is that clear? Right? That, that's, what the, that's what the text says. In the Old Testament, you see this topic of wine all over the place. Oftentimes, wine was used synonymously with phrases like blessing. Wine was referred to as something that would bring joy and bring gladness. Uh, wine in the Bible is something that is, is a good thing, but how many of you know 
good things can become bad things when we don't treat them how they're supposed to be used. Too often we take good things and all of a sudden we make them a God thing. <laughs> they become the God of our lives, not just a thing in our lives. And, and that's when it becomes bad and it hinders our imitating. And that's why Paul says to the Ephesians, and the Ephesians would at times use wine and alcohol to help them engage in worship to other lowercase g gods. So in the culture of Ephesus, they were using and abusing wine to enhance their sexual sin, to enhance their drunken parties, and to enhance their debauchery, if we were to use that word. That's why he says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. An interesting word here. See, we see the command, now we see the reason. Let me highlight this really quick. That is debauchery. What does the word debauchery mean? The word debauchery, by definition, is an extreme indulgence in bodily pleasures, especially sexual pleasures, alcohol, or drugs. That's Webster's Dictionary for the word debauchery. This was happening in the culture 2,000 years ago, and come on, somebody, it's happening today, right? Let me show you how Peter wrote about it, the disciple Peter, as he wrote to the culture and to the churches in his day. First Peter chapter 4, verse 3 through 5. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles, people who don't know God, would do. Living in sensuality, passions, some translations would say lust, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. Let's keep going. And they malign you, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Basically, what the apostle Peter is saying to us here, he's saying if you really try to live this imitation out, if you really allow Jesus to live his life in you and through you, people are going to be upset about it (laughs) because it may challenge you to do some things that are different from what you used to do. It did for the Ephesians, and it will happen also for the Las Vegans, all right? I didn't say Las Vegans. <laughs> um, anyway, the, 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 the church in Vegas, right? The church in Vegas. Uh, he said there might be some maligning. There might be some people that would say, hey, how come you're not coming to the party? How come you're not engaging in the drink that you are known to drink? And that's when you insert, well, because Jesus saved my life. That's right. And... And don't stop there. Don't put, a, don't put a period on it. Can you put a comma on that? And he can do that for you too. Come on. And, 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 and say, draw people. Draw people to come with you. I met a few people this morning already. I just want to, I brought my friend. I brought my, my cousin. I brought my, my kid. I brought my homie. I brought, brought my spouse. I, I brought somebody. Be a bringer, amen? Be a bringer. Jesus saved my life. I'm on this journey of imitating him. I'd love for you to hear more about it. Let's meet up so we can talk and come with me to church in a charge group too. And let's see this thing really happen. Jesus was an inviter, wasn't he? Jesus said, hey, come with me. Come follow me. I said, what's going to happen? Don't worry about it. Just come. Right? Let go of the debauchery. It says, do not be drunk with wine. Do you know what the word drunk means? I I, I looked it up in the dictionary. The word drunk, I'll give you two definitions for the word drunk or drunken. 
The first one comes from Webster's, to be intoxicated to the point where physical or mental control is markedly diminished. The Oxford Pocket Dictionary defines the word drunken by the phrase to lose control. That, that's what the word drunken means. I like how the proverb talks about wine here in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1. It says, wine is a mocker, strong drink, a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it, it's not wise. So you can make your case for alcohol and drunkenness all you want, and I would just say, you're not wise. And I'm not doing that off of my own understanding or opinion. I, was, I threw that out a long time ago, right? Uh, this is God's word. You got to take that battle up with him, right? It says wine is a mocker that you could be tempted to engage in something that will actually start mocking you. How about the word mock? It's an interesting word. It's a mocker. Now, this is wild, right? This blew my mind as I was studying. The word mocking, by definition, means to imitate in such a way that it makes you look bad. So we're talking about imitating Jesus, and wine's talking about imitating me in such a way that I'm going to make you look bad. Who, who, who are you imitating today? Now, let me go ahead and take this a step further. Maybe this will get a little bit more clear. The definition for drunken is to be intoxicated. The word intoxicated means to be under the influence of something. So it says, don't be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, because what happens in that case is you begin to be under the influence of something or someone that really wants to make you look bad. I mean, let's just go ahead and expose what it really is. I, I like how the New Living Translation says this verse. It, it says, don't just get drunk with wine because it's debauchery. It says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. <laughs> let's just take out the debauchery for a second. I know it's fun to say it. Here's what happens. Don't get drunk with wine. Come on, highlight that. That will ruin your life, right? It's right in the book. Here's what I believe. Jesus wants to save your life. This wants to ruin your life. Jesus wants to heal your life. I see this wants to ruin my life. And I find so many people, well, does the Bible? Yes, it does. It says it. Like, we, do we need to really, like, parse that each part? Like, that says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. And that's something that I just submit to you in, in Christ that this, this may help you. The ESV study Bible talks about this uh, topic. It says, whereas wine can control the mind and ruin one's judgment and sense of propriety, leading to debauchery, in contrast with this, being filled with the Spirit leads to self-control along with other fruits of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, seen in Galatians 5. The command in the Greek is a present imperative and does not describe a one-time filling, but a regular pattern of life. So it says, don't get drunk with wine. That'll ruin your life. But, so that's the negative. Don't do that. That's the negative. What's the positive? But be filled with the Spirit. 
So there needs to not just be a changed life, there needs to be an exchanged life, right? So it's not just, man, I, I need to get changed. No, you need to have an exchange. The exchange is, I once was filled with wine, now I'm filled with the Spirit, right? The, the, this front row is ready. I'm with y'all, right? You need to be filled with the Spirit. There needs to be an exchange. There needs to be an influence exchange, right? Like, what happens if a person gets pulled over while being in a state of drunkenness? They get a D U I, right? For those who don't know what that means, that means driving under the influence. If God were to pull you over today, would he see that you are living under the influence of his spirit? Watch the exchange here. It says, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. What's so neat is in Acts chapter 2, the, the, the spirit came down. The text says that the believers were filled with the spirit, and the people in the city said, are y'all drunk? Are you guys, these people are drunk. Like the, I think some, these, some of these people are, are in a drunken state. And they said, man, we're not drunk. It's like 9 a.m. We're just filled with the Spirit. It's so interesting. I, the, the, the contrast, right? The contrast. The contrast here is great. Like the contrast between drunkenness and being filled with the Spirit is amazing. Because I'll tell you what. When I'm around people who are in a drunken state, and, and before, I, before I was saved and in Christ, I, I experienced this state. And, and this state, I noticed that when people are in a drunken state, they just get a little more bold. Like, come on, bro, I'm tough. Like, you, you're not that, you know, where does that come from? I'm bold, I'm bold, say something. <laughs> Sometimes people get like, all of a sudden they get extra friendly, extra loving, like, you my bro, Joey. Like, I love you, pray. I watch your Facebook, bro, and you're like, I never talked to you before, but all of a sudden, like, I love you, man. I love Walk Church. And I'm like, what? Whoa. So they just start, start honoring. I honor you, bro. Like, right? People get really bold. People do stuff they wouldn't normally do. People get extra honest. All of a sudden, they start speaking things, like really what's going on in their heart, but because they're in a drunken state, they just start revealing those things. Notice the contrast. When you get filled with the Spirit, the believers got bold. See, but it wasn't a facade anymore. It wasn't like, I'm just going to escape for like a couple hours and I'm going to use this drink to help me do it. Jesus is like, yo, I got, I got something so much better. I mean, the effects are going to be similar, but they're going to be better. They're going to be elevated. They're going to be enhanced. You're going to be more bold. You're going to be more honest. You're going to be more loving. You're going to be more honoring. You're going to be more joyful. You're going to be more passionate, and you're not even going to get a headache the next day. Come on, somebody. I'm getting excited in this place right now. My goodness, I like this word. You're not like, God is like, hey, look, I got something. I'm trying to do something in your life. I'm trying to take you somewhere. Don't get drunk with wine. That's debauchery. That's going to ruin your life. That's going to mock you at the end of the day. You're going to wind up on someone's social media getting talked about. Jesus, I'm trying to save you from that, right? I'm trying to see you filled with the Holy Spirit so I can influence you. Jesus wants to influence your life. He, Jesus wants to influence your thinking. Jesus wants to influence your heart, right? You're like, man, I just keep running into a wall. I can't figure it out. Maybe you need some new influence. 
right? The influence that comes from God and his word and his spirit. Don't get drunk with wine. That's debauchery. Be filled with the spirit. That, that's the type of spiritual living that, that doesn't return void, that, that doesn't overpromise and underdeliver. This right here is a promise from God, and it will overdeliver in your life. It will. It will. Notice what, notice what Paul writes to the Corinthian church that, that lived in debauchery, that lived in sexual sin, that lived in idolatry, adultery, drunkenness. Here's what he writes in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10. It says, the kind of sorrow that God wants us to experience leads us away from sin. See, this is so interesting because a lot of people, they, they fall into a state of drunkenness because of sorrow. I want to escape from my sorrow. But what happens oftentimes is it leads to regret. Like, man, I shouldn't have done that. I know, I know. Why did I do that? Let me go ahead and tell you. If you're in a state of drunkenness and you've been doing things that haven't, you haven't still come to church, right? But what, what will happen is you might be in this place. You're like, man, I shouldn't have done that. Because I need an influence in my life that's even better. The kind of sorrow that God wants us to experience leads us away from sin, and it results in salvation. The word salvation means to be saved, right? There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. I'm looking for the sorrow that says I'm not even mad at it. I needed the sorrow to lead me to the Savior so I could be saved. I need that type of influence. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, that results in spiritual death, right? Worldly sorrow says, you know what, I'm so sorrowful, I'm so focused on my circumstances, I feel so bad about everything, and sometimes we get, we get into places that are, that, are, that are real, because we do wrestle with this, this spiritual dark realm that wants to make us sorrowful, but what you do in that moment matters. Do you turn to something, or do you turn to someone, right? Something that, that's going to mock you, right? Or, or, or you turn to someone that's going to save you. Right, like I, I got I got saved as a freshman in college, and I never regretted that decision. Right. In fact, I've just said, man, I wish it would have happened sooner. Right. Uh, and today, if you're in here and you're not saved, or you're just you're playing the double dutch with Jesus, you're like, you know, man, like I'm. When, when am I gonna go in? I'm in. <laughs> right. I'm in. Like you got you got to jump in, right? Or else you might regret it. You might regret it. I don't want you to regret it. I love you too much to, to not tell you that. I don't want you to regret it. Somebody probably brought you here to church because they don't want you to regret it. Or they want you to be filled with the Spirit, to be influenced by the capital S Holy Spirit. So don't get drunk with wine. That will ruin your life. Be filled with the Spirit. That will save your life. That's what this text is talking about. Amen. Let me give you a reality statement. I just thought that this, this made sense when I was talking about it in the context of celebrating because Jesus celebrated. Jesus was the life of the party, and he didn't have to get drunk to do it. Hear that. Receive that. Embrace that. Jesus was the life of every party that he walked into. Facts. Right? It's true. Every time Jesus walked in, people, it just, the thing filled up. I mean, packed out house. You want to be around Jesus. Do people want to be around you? Because if you're imitating him, people will. <laughs> Introverts are shaking right now. Dang it. Dang it. <laughs> Extroverts are like, this is my message, right? right? But uh, if, hey, look, Jesus would also isolate himself in times to spend time with God because he needed to charge up. 
Sometimes Jesus would walk away from crowds because he needed to be alone with God. I believe Jesus is the God of the introvert and the extrovert. He just wants us to imitate him, right? Amen, he does. He, he totally does. And, and, and extroverts, Jesus will make you get uncomfortable and get alone with him. And introverts, Jesus will make you get uncomfortable and go to a small group and talk, right? Right, like this is the life that Jesus calls us to live. It's a continual walk. It's a continual growth. It's a continual challenge to say, okay, today I'm not imitating myself, my friend, this world, drunkenness. I'm imitating him. And whatever you want me to do today, Jesus, let's do it. Right, and, and guess what? I don't need to be drunk to be the life of the party. You don't. Who, don't, don't, don't believe the lies of Satan. And say, okay, in order for you to really have fun. And I, I guess I'm speaking this message because... I just have voices in my head and voices in my heart of people throughout my journey of being a follower of Jesus that have literally turned away from Christ because of this. Said, man, I just, you know, like, I have to have this in order to be, to, to function, to have this reputation, to, to, to be this fake person, to, to, try to, to try to impress somebody. You don't need to impress nobody. Right? You just need to be saved and set free and then follow his will. It's good for you. You don't need to be under. Who's influencing you today? Is music and artists influencing you or is God influencing you? Is drunk alcohol influencing you or is God influencing you? Because that's what this is saying. Driving under the influence will, will, will hinder your life. Living under the influence of the spirit of God will, will save your life, will heal your life, will bring purpose to your life. Like the Holy Spirit has this whole beautiful game plan for you. It's like, man, I got this vision for you. Can you just let me influence you? Can you let me influence you and influence your decisions? And, and the Holy Spirit might say, okay, I want you to make this relationship right. I want you to do this. I want you to stop doing that. I, I want you to start talking to me more. I want you to start reading the word more. I want, I want to influence you. And be open to that. How good, how, that's great news. So he continues, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, it'll ruin your life, but be filled with the Spirit. Verse 19, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. I want to talk to you about uh, this phrase, spirit-filled living, spirit-filled living. Let me give you some effects, some symptoms, some fruit of what spirit-filled living looks like. And here's what I want you to do in a super challenging way. Use these points, lay them over your life and say, does this look like me? And that'll be able to, to, to be your guide, your gauge, right? Like, you know, like in a car, like are you empty or full? Use these tips to show you where you're at. Spirit-filled living. The first one looks like addressing one another. Addressing one another. You can't hide in Christianity. You, you, you can't just go into the place where nobody can see me. I hope that I don't see anybody or talk to anybody. Here's why. You're not filled with the Spirit. I'm going to give you an authoritative word. I know it makes you feel uncomfortable. But here's what resides on this statement. If you can't address people, you're not filled with the Spirit. Because the Spirit calls you to address one another, to address somebody, 
Say hi to somebody. Welcome somebody. Greet somebody. Hold the door for somebody. Don't just run away from people. I hope nobody talks to me. I hope nobody talks to me. Somebody sat down right next to you. That's the Holy Spirit saying, I want you to address somebody today. Somebody, I hope nobody, this, this, this row's empty. Stay empty. The only time I sometimes pray that prayer is on the airplane when nobody's taking that middle that seat and you're like, it's safe. And then somebody, that last person, and you just know it. Go ahead. Go ahead. Now, now I got to address you, right? You know, yep. And God moves in those moments, right? God wants us to address. How else are people going to get saved if you never address anybody? How is somebody ever going to get healed if you never address anybody? How are you going to get healed if nobody addresses you? It says, don't get drunk with wine. That'll ruin your life. But be filled with the Spirit, comma, addressing one another. It's in the same sentence. Don't get mad at me. Get mad at the Holy Spirit that's wanting to use you. To address somebody. Now, now this really gets deep because how do we address people? This text says addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Like, like you start addressing somebody like, like, hey, what's up, Miles? You're gonna see a victory. You know what I'm saying? Start just hey man. Hey Mike, you know what? God's going to take what the enemy did for evil. He's going to turn it for good, brother. I'm just, just started speaking those. Yeah. You know, you know, hey, Josiah, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you fear no evil, right? It says address one another in, in psalms, in hymns, in spiritual songs. Because maybe you're like, hey, man, you know, like I got to speak the psalms and, you know, the hymns are old school but so rich, right? Um, so like then Paul's like, okay, well, just make up a spiritual song. And speak that. I think it's less about, you know, like actually singing to people. It's about speaking and addressing the word of God with people. Addressing one another with the words. Addressing one another with grace. Addressing one another with compassion. Addressing one another with honor. Addressing one another with life. Addressing one another with eye contact. Addressing one another. With psalms, spiritual songs, and, and even hymns, right? This, this idea of addressing one another is so key in the scripture. So, so if you're going to lead a spirit-filled life, you got to get used to this. Challenging? Absolutely. Can you do it? Absolutely. With Christ in you. Got to wake up every morning and say, okay, Jesus, I need your help today because I need to address somebody. And I need the spirit to influence everything I say, everything I do, everything I think. You got to deny yourself and live the addressed life. Uh, the, the second thing we see here is spiritual living leads to worshiping Christ through praise. Worshiping Christ through praise. The ESV study Bible says, being filled with the spirit results in joyful praise through singing and making melody. Look at the verses with me, our verses of today. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 19. Addressing one another, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And then this next one, singing. Singing. Spirit, I don't know why the Spirit delights in our singing, but He does. I want to encourage you to sing. And when I got saved when I was in college, I was 19 years old, 
Never been to church in my life. I went to a, a, a sports Bible study. The, a, a lady on the softball team came up to the front, pulled out her guitar, and said, we're going to stand in worship. And I tapped my teammate, and I said, what's that mean? <laughs> and he goes, don't worry about it, bro. We're just going to sing a little bit. And I said, sing? <laughs> we're going to sing? He said, man, don't worry about it, bro. And all of a sudden, we started singing to Jesus. And I thought it was so weird. And I stood there. I was like, you know how some of y'all do. Some of y'all don't even do the head nod, though. I at least had enough rhythm to be like. Some of y'all are like, worship starts, you enter into the frozen zone. I'm saying, this is about spirit-filled living. Like, I, I, I'm sorry, I'm not sorry. This is what it says. If it said standing, I would preach that. Just stand. Just stand. If it said be quiet, I'd preach that. It says be quiet. That says singing. Now, listen, let me help you out. This is about to help somebody right here. Because some people, Manu, are going to say to me, but my voice is really bad. And here's what I'm going to say. Well, just make the melody in your heart, all right? <laughs> You're welcome, okay? And just... <laughs> I, I think that this verse might be stages, right? Like you start, like you're like, you know what? I'm going to start with the melody in my heart. And then I'm going to move to humming. And then I might move to singing. And then I might move to even this, this pose right here. Like, it's not quite there. It's like, it's like in your pockets, you're like, you know, you're like. No, you got to pull it down. Just, no, you know, you pull, you, you put, and pull it down and look. Did anybody see it? Like, I was a stretch. It was a stretch, right? Then you just get to this place. Just get to this place. Just get to this place. You care what anybody thinks? I stopped caring what people think a long time ago. I'm not under your influence. I'm under this influence. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. You, I think we should walk around making melody with God in our heart. Right? Like, get, a, get around some worship music. Like, we just posted a... a a social media post yesterday on our social media. Here's the songs we're singing today, right? Like, go find those songs if you like them, you know? Maybe one of them spoke to you. And then start listening to them. You know, exchange your playlist for some stuff that, I'm not saying you gotta burn and throw away all your secular music. I'm not saying that, right? What I'm saying is, you probably should incorporate some music that has to do with worship and spiritual and psalms and hymns and, and songs that worship God so that you can live out these verses of imitation. I think Jesus, right, would, would go throughout the day and they would sing. For example, uh, before Jesus went to the cross, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And it said, as was his custom, they prayed and they sang a hymn. I don't know what hymn they sang, but that, I'm sure, was a powerful worship session. Right? Like Jesus was leading in song and praise. The angels are singing in heaven. Right? Like... Start some heaven stuff now. Come on, Matt Chandler says it like this. He says, if someone doesn't have much use for praising him now, it's foolish to think they're ready for heaven. You're not ready. 
You're going to be like, whoa, this is a different type of worship session. You might step in and, like, I didn't even do that. Like, just the Spirit of God just lifted you. How about this? Charles Spurgeon put it like this, the great prince of preachers. Spurgeon said, all places are places of worship to a Christian. He says, wherever he is, he ought to be in worship, a worshiping frame of mind. Wherever you're at, if you're just working, if you're, if you're driving, if you're playing in a basketball game, if you're going through a struggle, worship your way through it. Worship God through it, in your heart, in your mind, out loud, at church. We're called to be worshipers. This, this is spirit-filled living. Let me give you the last one. Spirit-filled living is addressing one another, worshiping Christ through praise, and giving thanks always. Giving thanks always. The word always is key. <laughs> to give thanks always. In everything always. Let's look at the verse. Ephesians 4, verse 19 and 20. Giving thanks always and for everything. Y'all catch it? Always and everything. What should you be thankful for? Yes. Should I be thankful for it? Yes. Always and everything. Why do we pray before we eat? Because we're giving thanks to God. Like, throw out the robotic prayers. If you get asked to pray this Thanksgiving, man, thank the Lord for his grace. Giving thanks always and for everything to, to God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I, if we had more time, I'd preach about the name. But right now, I want us to just take some time to live out this verse. I want us to, uh, to move into a time of singing. Matthew Henry, in his commentary on this verse, he says it like this. He says, though we are not always singing... We should always be giving thanks, right? If you can't sing, at least give thanks. I want to lead us into just a time of singing right now, a time of, of praise. And uh, if you don't know the song that we're going to sing, just allow the lyrics to speak to you. And this is a song that's not just a song we sing, it's a song we pray. It's a song we pray. So I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to have a time of response and prayer. If you need to come down and use this altar to get right with God, Come down and do it. If you need to grab a pastor or a leader, a man of God, a woman of God, somebody here at the church that you know that will pray for you, ask them to pray for you in this time, and God will move.